Good morning again, church. Uh, I'm Kyle Coulter. You saw me on stage not 90 seconds ago. Uh, and you've probably seen me around for the last seven years because that's how long I've been attending church here. But this is my first time greeting you on stage about to deliver a message uh, with my partner, Hannah Beachler. Uh, Hannah, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Hannah. I've been going to CCC for about two years now. Um, you might have seen me on the worship team or in the children's ministry. Um, I'm super excited to be here today, not only as a young person on stage, but as a young woman on stage, because that's a big deal. All right. Give it, yeah. Woo. Um, so uh, we, as we prepared, um, and also you'll notice I'll, I'll stand up and walk around while I talk. She'll probably remain seated, so just going to give you a mix of experiences there. Um, so a few, a few weeks ago, probably around a month ago, um, uh, Pastor Dadham sat us down, and he's like, we should brainstorm uh, what you guys are going to talk about. And in a brainstorm, you're supposed to come up with a lot of ideas. There are no bad ideas in a brainstorm. Um, we had only one. We had this one. Uh, so... That's not a lack of creativity. That's something that just we had on our hearts and we were set and we wanted to talk about this. So we've put uh, a lot of time into um, data collection and research and, and uh, practicing delivering this and informing you in, a, in an efficient way. So um, I ask that you, you look past our years. We're young. Um, I'm stupid sometimes. She's probably smart all the time. But uh, we've spent a lot of time on what we have to say. I know of at least four English teachers who will be watching this, and they learned us how to talk real good. So we're going to just deliver this to you um, in the best way that we can do. Um, so the idea we came up is, with is we're going to talk about high school. Uh, we have some pretty recent experience with that. I actually just finished yesterday. Uh, she's still going. All right, yeah, I graduated. I had to wear a silly hat and everything. It was great. Um, Let's go over what hasn't changed since high school, because we know it's different. Um, a lot of you in this room went to high school before I did, um, before I was born maybe, some, most of you. Um, that wasn't that long ago, okay, I'm not that old. Um, and what hasn't changed about adolescence is, is really key to what we're gonna talk about, because what hasn't changed is the way people develop from children into adults. That's what we call adolescence, and you know, our bodies grow really quickly. My brother used to be shorter than me, like, I don't know, a few months ago. Now he's not, right? So his body grew really fast, but in adolescence, I liked this quote from psychology today. I just like the wording of it. Um, the brain begins to change when the body does, but it doesn't become a grown-up thinking organ as quickly as other systems of the body mature. That just means our brains are still developing. We're, we're the story of adolescence is learning to deal with adult challenges before we're adults. So our brains are, are trying to handle the things that are put in front of us, and they're just not able to sometimes, because um, it was in it now, 28 is when your brain is fully developed. Um, it takes a minute. So um, if that's the same, why is high school so different now? Because it is different, I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, the younger generations, we're all crazy and we're doing whatever. Um, what is different? I asked my high school principal, Jared Mason. I graduated so I can use his first name. Uh, he doesn't have any power over me anymore. Um, and so I interviewed him 
and I asked the question, since you began working in schools, what has changed the most? Any guesses? Uh, he said social media was, was what changed the most. He said the advent of social media has decreased intention spans and willingness to read, and it has increased anxiety. And now anxiety is a large part of what we're going to talk about. Mental health as a whole is what we're going to talk about. Um, and, and you don't have to take his word for it, that it's increased anxiety. In fact, um, I took a survey, I sent out a survey to a lot of people, got 121 responses. I didn't know I knew 121 people. And uh, it was great. And so I crunched some numbers on that. I asked the question, how much did you struggle with your mental health well-being in high school? Uh, and I split it up. And instead of saying old and young, because I thought that was crass, we're going to say experienced and handsome. Um, that's, that's what I put. And so it's on a scale of one from five, one being I didn't struggle with my mental health at all in high school, and five being I struggled with it a lot. Um, and it, if you look at those curves, um, I took statistics this year. That doesn't mean I learned a whole lot in statistics, but it is pretty clear to me that the experienced age group, which by the way, if you were curious, is 36 and up, uh, has a peak at one. That's where their peak is. That's where the most people said they didn't struggle at all. And if you look at the handsome age group, the peak is way on the other side. That's a significant change. It's, it's flipped completely the other way. What happened? Well, because adolescence is dealing with adult problems before you're an adult, what's changed now is the amount of adult problems that we face. In social media, there's the whole world in front of you. Instead of just what's around you in your life, we're faced with everything. We have increased social pressures. We know what everybody did over the weekend. You know what parties you weren't invited to. You see everybody's highlight reel of their entire lives. And you look at yourself and you're like, what does that mean for me? And as an adolescent, that's not good news. It's bad, we can't handle that. Because when you're unstable, as an adolescent is by nature and has always been, every one of us in this room has been unstable in our adolescence. You search for stability. And we look for that around in the world and we're met with more instability. And that has a severe effect on our mental health. So when we say mental health, a lot of you are gonna come up with different definitions for you personally. So I'm gonna start with just the basic definition. Mental health is a person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. So basically how effectively we process our emotions and circumstances on a daily basis. Surprisingly, teens and adults struggle with mental health in really similar ways. Um, but like Cal said, our brains aren't developed enough to process these in a healthy way a lot of the time. So often these mental struggles are more challenging for teens. But we don't want you to just take our word for it. So here's a video by our youth group about what life is like as a teenager today. Hey CCC, so for this video we asked teens what is one word or phrase to describe what being a high schooler is like today? Here's what they had to say. My word would be adventurous. My word would be complicated. Chaotic and very stressful. My word is challenging. 
My words would be uh, repetitive, but energetic. My word is optimistic. My word would be confusing. Fortunate. My word is engaging. Rewarding. Demanding. High stakes. Full of all the emotions. So yeah, there's a lot going on right now. Um, and obviously a lot of it has to do with our mental health. You heard words like demanding, confusing, full of all the emotions. Someone really smart said that one. Um, and still mental health is a topic that a lot of churches don't talk about because it's so complex and it varies from person to person. Um, mental illness is even harder to talk about because it implies that something's wrong with our brains. And as human beings, we don't like to be told that there's something wrong with us, especially with our brains. Um, it feels like a failure on our part, especially as Christians. I know I've struggled with this, thinking that your mental health reflects how faithful you are. They are not the same. 49% um, of pastors say they rarely or never talk to their congregation about mental illness, which seems kind of crazy considering how prevalent it is today. They may find it unnecessary or they may feel unqualified to address such a difficult topic. It's super important that we do have these conversations though so that people feel less alone and that the church realizes that this is a healthy and normal thing in today's society. So we're gonna look at what the Bible says about mental health. And we're gonna start in 1 Kings 19. So if you don't know what's happening in 1 Kings 19, um, God had just had a major victory over the false prophets. He sent fire down, that's, that's my description of what happened. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, Elijah was his main guy during this. And you know, usually you would think if you just helped God have a victory over false prophets, you'd be feeling pretty good about yourself. Um, Elijah was not. Um, he felt so alone because he thought that he was the only man of faith left. Also at this time, the Israelites had just rejected God's covenant and they had destroyed his altars. And now Queen Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. Obviously this would put you in a really rough mental state. Um, Elijah was terrified. He thought he was all alone. Um, and in 1 Kings 19.4, he says to God, I have had enough, Lord, take my life. Elijah was one of God's most faithful prophets and he was asking God to take his life. That is super heavy and shows that that's something that Christians have struggled with for a long time. Cal? Yeah, um, I'm gonna stand back up, get out of my stool. Uh, and, and we like to think that as Christians, we, we have a defense against that. We, you know, just trust in Jesus. There are so many verses say, don't worry. And yet we still do. There's another example of, of somebody who's very close to God, uh, David, who, who succumbed to the outward stresses of his world. He had a stressful life at one point. He was being pursued by Saul who wanted to have him dead, um, I don't know if anybody's ever wanted you dead before. I have not had that experience, so it's left to my imagination. But he was a time of stress, and he was captured in Gath. He was brought to meet with the king of Gath. He has a name. I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. And as he was being brought to the king, the servants recognized David, and they said, hey, isn't this the guy that they said Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? Isn't he pretty dangerous? Shouldn't we do something about him? And David gets afraid, and he's afraid of what they might do to him. And as a result, that takes over, and he pretends to be a crazy person. 
he goes insane. He's drooling. He's got stuff in his beard and he's just going crazy. And the king is like, ah, get this crazy guy out of here. The point of this story that I want to point out is that um, the sword of Goliath was on his back. And I don't know if you remember that story, because I sure do, but the sword of Goliath is a literal physical reminder to David that God is bigger than whatever challenges he faces. And still, in that moment, he's reduced to humiliating himself to get out of that situation. And he forgot. He writes in Psalm 56, he says, Be merciful, merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? David was a man after God's own heart, but being pursued for this long, being under that strain and under the pressure of survival, even he says, record my misery, list my tears in your scroll. He's messed up by it. He struggles with this and everyone has and everyone can. Is this the way that God created us to live? The answer, hopefully pretty obviously, is no. We know from John 10.10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come so that they may have life and have it to the full. And what we mean by full life here isn't like skydiving and bungee jumping and checking things off your bucket list. It's, it can even just mean not being under the chains of the stresses of your world, not being enslaved by that. When, you, when your mental health is at stake, when you're anxious or depressed, based on the pressures of the world, you're incapable of carrying out what God has for you to do. And that's not the life that Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to be able to live in a way that honors him and brings people to him. So what can we do about it? How do we get to the life that God created us to live? We boiled it down to two things, um, prayer and presence. That's alliteration, uh, easy to remember. If you're taking notes, uh, which I know some of you do, those are gonna be two things that are pretty important. You're gonna wanna have bullet points under those. So keep that in your notes. Because uh, in prayer, we say a lot of times that we believe there's power in prayer. And that's very true. And David certainly believes so. David, in those, that Psalm that I read to you, I left out a few parts. He said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That is going back to what he knows is true. That's what Goliath's sword should have reminded him of in the moment. But only when he prayed and when he talked to God did he recenter on his values and what he knows is true about God. And then he can go forward from there. The Psalms are his reflections of what's happened. And this is tied to that specific event when he was captured. He says, what can mere mortals do to me? It's what he's always known. It's what he's always believed, but it took talking to God to recenter him on that. And that can be applied a lot the same way in what we face. We can center ourselves back on what we know is true through prayer.
Yeah, so a super easy way to practice this in your life today, um, we have two points. Pray with people and pray for people. Um, Just being in a room and having your hand on someone and just praying with them is super powerful. Also, just going home and praying for them by name is something really amazing you can do. If you need help on this, Amber is a great example. Uh, I've seen her do it so, so many times. And the comfort that she provides so many people is truly awesome. And this is something that anybody can do, um, whether you are struggling with your mental health or whether you're not. Um, Just constantly keeping other people in mind, there is power in prayer. Next slide. Next slide. (laughs) We're going to talk about presence next. And I think it's important to bring up at this point that um, it this does have a lot to do with high schoolers. It sounds like we're talking about mental health in general, and we are. It works for everyone. But the reason we're bringing it up is that if you know a high schooler, they're probably struggling with this thing, these things. And they may not tell you, they may not ever tell you, but doing these things for them is a way forward. And presence is important as well because you have to be present to pray with them, Right? And we know we're not supposed to do this alone. That's what the church is for. That's what our community is for. You're not alone. We're not meant to go through life alone. We're not meant to struggle alone. We're not to do life as Christians alone. When we do it alone, we're stuck with our own thoughts. And everything that we have in our own head beating ourselves down is not going to help. So that's why we're present with people. We're somebody else. You don't even have to say anything. Hannah's going to talk about that. Yeah, so what we left out about Elijah is that as soon as he was talking to God about wanting to end his life, God talked to Elijah and he said, you are not alone. That's the first thing he said. There are 7,000 more just like you in the city. Well, Elijah didn't know that and he immediately felt some reassurance. Was everything fixed? No, people still wanted him dead, but he felt this reassurance and comfort that God was with him and there was a community for him. Um, presence is so, so important in the church. Be vulnerable with your own struggles and issues when you're present with someone. Um, Expecting someone to share some really hard things about their life and not give them anything in return isn't always super, super effective because if you're expecting them to be vulnerable with you, it's important that you also are willing to tell them like, hey, I also struggle sometimes. And that, like Elijah, can provide a lot of reassurance. Also, this point is gonna be controversial. When you're present with someone, one of the best things you can do is don't talk, at least until it's time to be vulnerable. Don't talk, which I know sounds crazy. I love to talk. Um, But a lot of times our words do damage that we don't expect. Um, If you have ever been with someone who is grieving, you've probably heard the words, it's all a part of God's plan or God doesn't make mistakes. If no one has told you by now, that is not the thing to say. Um, If you have just lost someone in your life and the first thing someone says to you is, don't worry, God doesn't make mistakes, you're not gonna feel very good. Um, And that's why a lot of times your presence is often more powerful than your words. Yes, there are times to reassure people. Yes, there are times to direct them to God, but a lot of times you just need to be quiet and just sit with them and let them know that they're not alone. Now, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet that we mentioned in the beginning is clinical mental illness. Um, For some people, their mental health struggles are scientific and they never really say in the Bible what to do when that happens. 
Um, and when we were talking to Adam, he mentioned this, like said, hey, it's never mentioned in the Bible. Um, why don't you guys share a story? So we're gonna share a story. Um, I'm gonna talk to you about my struggle with clinical anxiety. Um, this has been happening since before I can remember as a kid. Um, I wake up in the morning with my heart pounding before I get out of bed. Um, I am constantly worried that something's gonna happen to me, that something's gonna happen to my family. Um, there are times when my head hurts so bad that I can't focus on anything else because I'm so stressed out and I don't know why. Um, in study hall about a month ago, I was sitting in class and I got really dizzy all of a sudden. Um, I started sweating and shaking and my heart was beating really fast and I had no idea what was going on. Um, this sounds super, super crazy and irrational, but my first thought was, am I gonna die? Um, I know it sounds pretty intense, um, but within two minutes I was fine and I didn't know what happened. And so I went to the nurse. I don't usually go to the nurse, but I went down there and explained what was happening. And she just looked at me and was like, Hannah, it's just probably a panic attack. And I just sat there for a second and was like, oh, what? Like I'd heard about panic attacks before, but like, not me, like that doesn't happen to me. I'm a good Christian. Um, I have a family who supports me. I'm happy, like what? That doesn't make sense. Um, and since then I've like thought a lot about that and that's normal. You can be a good faithful Christian and struggle with mental illness. Um, and I do, and I'm just getting to the point where I'm starting to accept that. But like we said, there are things that you can do to help and that you can do to help other people. So I'm gonna talk about some examples that have helped me. Um, when we talk about prayer, I talked about Amber. And Amber has been such a light in my life. If you've seen her t-shirt today, it's really cool. You should go look at it. Um, it made me cry in the parking lot this morning. Um, she is the perfect epitome of what prayer looks like for people. The amount of times I've gotten a text when she knows I'm struggling, there's something big going on, it's just amazing, and I can't tell you how much that helps. Um, presence. When I think back to the worst days of my life, there are people that come to mind who are present, like Katie and Justin. They're also really good at this. Um, I remember, again, worst days of my life. Don't remember what a lot of people said, but I remember Katie and Justin sitting on my couch with ooey gooey butter cookies. Um, and in that moment, I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I knew that I wasn't alone and I knew that it was gonna be okay just because there was someone to sit down with me and pray with me and be present. In these situations, while prayer and presence are super powerful, we also wanna address the fact that sometimes that is not enough to help as effectively as we want. Um, therapy and medication are a great option for believers. Um, it's not just for people who can't get out of bed in the morning. Sorry, I messed up my notes a little bit. Um, choosing to see a therapist doesn't make you a bad Christian. Taking medication doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you human. Um, I started therapy a week ago, maybe. Um, and I've been kind of astounded by the reaction from people in my life. Some have been super supportive, like, you go, Hannah, which is great. Others are like shocked. Like one day I was, had to leave class and someone asked me why and I said, oh, I just have therapy. And they were like, you? You, you have to go to therapy? And I was like, yeah. Like it is so normal and it's time to normalize that and let people know that therapy is for normal people and it helps um, just as much as prayer and presence can help. 
So yeah, Cal, take it away. <laughs> yeah, it's important to realize as a church and as a society that sometimes we can't do anything about the mental health struggles of our friends, of young people that we know, of old people that we know, handsome or experienced, if you want to be uh, classy with it. Um, but sometimes there are things we can do when the depression or anxiety or stress are as a result of pressures in their life, there's something you can do. Now, telling them that it's all going to be okay may be true, but like we said, prayer and presence. This is how we build a more unified church, is when we bridge the gap between generations like this. I had another question on my survey. Is I don't have any slides for it, but it said, um, how would you rate, how much do you think your peers struggle with mental health? And the results of that one, it tells me that in the old experienced age bracket, you guys didn't really talk about it. You had no idea how your peers felt. The answers were all over the place. But it's talked about so much more now. And because there's so much more awareness, it's something we need to deal with and be loving towards and pray and be present with the people who are struggling. This is how we build a community, unify each other, and between generations, you may have it figured out. You're adults, most of you. Sorry, the two students sitting right there and Miles. Um, you may have it figured out. And you can help. You can pray. You can be present. Here's how. We keep saying that. We keep saying, do this, do this. Here's some pretty direct action steps you can take. If you want to pray for a student... There's a way to pray for them by name. You ask Katie. You can email her at katie at cicerochristianchurch.org or you can talk to her. She's right there. Keep your eye on her now and then just track her as she leaves. Follow her, track her down. Don't take your eyes off her. She'll slip away. And she's not going to give you the list of names unless you ask. This is something you've got to go for. You have to put the effort in to being there for somebody and pray for them by name. How can you be present? So number one, we kind of forgot to mention this point. If you're a parent right now, just being present in your kids' lives and making sure that they know that they're not alone in their mental health struggles. Um, if your kid struggles with mental illness, that doesn't reflect on you at all. And that's super important to us that we address because a lot of times I think parents worry that, oh, well, if my kid is struggling with depression, that's because I messed up. You didn't mess up. That's normal. How you respond, though, does reflect on you as a parent. And you can respond in a way that shows your kid what Jesus would do. Um, so being present, encouraging conversations. If they want to look into therapy or medications, help them go through that. Um, if you don't have a teenager, which I'm assuming is most of you today, um, Asking a high school student to go out for coffee seems terrifying. Um, we're really scary from the outside looking in, I know. Um, but that's something super easy you can do. Just be like, hey, um, would you ever want to like sit down and talk? We're going to say yes. And just pouring into other kids um, is something amazing that you can do. When I think of some of my favorite times in my life, it's coffee with people who are constantly pouring into me as a teenager. And it has helped me in so many ways. So we encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't know a high schooler, you can go talk to Katie. She will pick someone for you. She doesn't know that yet, but she will help you pick someone. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like I mentioned, if you know a young person, chances are they've probably struggled with this or they will at some point during high school or middle school or their adolescence. It's just going to happen. People get stressed sometimes. People get depressed sometimes. This is for small cases and large cases. This is how we build a better community. I've been saying that a lot. It's in my notes, but also it's important, and that's why it's in my notes. Um, We finished up pretty early. Uh, We were about 10 minutes early, but that's to be expected. It's a simple message, but it's important. Um, And I'd encourage you guys, and as we always say, to go be salt and light in a world that desperately needs it. Be salt and light with your prayer and presence, and uh, go out and talk to somebody who's younger than you today. Unless you're Miles, who's the youngest.